Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Do you ever feel frustrated? Well, your dog does. Frustration occurs when an animal is interrupted in reaching their goals. Unfortunately, this occurs all too often in the modern world when a dog's goals do not align with those of their human companion. This can be a source of distress for both you and your dog, but it can also lead to the development of problem behaviors and can damage the relationship that you have with your dog. But we have answers for you. Join us for a two-day in-person seminar October 5th and 6th with instruction by Daniel Shaw. Daniel Shaw is an animal behaviorist with a background in animal behavior, psychology, and neuroscience. He will be talking about what frustration is and how it can be identified, the difficulty of conventional approaches in resolving frustration, what influences the value of rewards, as well as supporting frustrated dogs and building frustration tolerance. You can buy early bird tickets now until August the 5th, and be sure that you join us for our pre-seminar social Friday evening where you can meet Daniel and the Dog Speak team. We look forward to seeing you October 5th and 6th in Nashville, Tennessee for the Neuroscience of Resolving Frustration in Dogs seminar. Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Hope you're having a wonderful week. So today's episode, I have Daniel Shaw back on the podcast. I'm so excited. Uh, Daniel is from the UK. He is the owner of Animal Behavior Kent. He has a background in animal behavior, psychology, and neuroscience. Um, He does have a degree as a qualified psychologist, a certified dog behavior consultant with the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, and he is currently working on his master's degree in neuroscience, and I'm so appreciative that he took the time today to sit down and record with us on the frustration in dogs. Just to let you guys know, we have a great conversation, however, around the uh, ending Something happened to the internet, I know, shocker, but it cut off and Daniel was able to talk a little bit, but then I was gone. I don't know what happened. So Daniel's so busy, we did not uh, complete this episode, even though we were at the end of it. So please be sure that you keep an eye out. We're going to have Daniel back. We'll finish up kind of the endings of this episode and talk about some others. But you can also find Daniel online. He regularly presents uh, seminars and webinars. Uh, You can go to the, um, it's ABK Learn, and he has a uh, wonderful course called Trauma-Informed Pet Professionals and explores the neurobiology of trauma and presents cutting-edge techniques for helping dogs that have experienced trauma. Um, I just love talking with him, and I could talk with him all day long, uh, but I know how busy he is. So I do hope you guys enjoy this as much as we enjoyed recording. And again, just the last couple of minutes, uh, we lost but I think you'll still get a really ton of wonderful information from this episode with Daniel Shaw. Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. So happy that you're joining us today. I have been waiting for this since the 1st of December. I have Daniel Shaw back today. Daniel, how have you been? I've been good, thank you. How have you been? 
I am hanging in there. 24 is, is definitely better than 23. Uh, coming, I came home. We, I saw you in the conference in North Carolina. I came home sick as a dog for like two weeks. It was ridiculous. Did you end up getting any sickness? I um, actually got very paranoid by the end of the conference <laughs> <laughs> about the sickness that everyone was saying was going around. So I just locked down on, on the last day because I was like, I'm not being sick for this flight. Um, <laughs> yeah, you were smart to do that because by the time I was at the Resilience Rainbow, I don't remember a thing that they said because I was sick the whole time. Um, so I have to go back and watch the recordings just to remember it was brilliant information. Um, so yeah, I'm much better now. Uh, I will say that that was a very, uh, being sick after coming back and having all this beautiful new information and just this, such a wonderful time and being sick. I was really frustrated the rest of the month, um, which is what a great segue into what we're talking about. Frustration in dogs. You have, you've, you've done a really good job at, I've, I've been doing your neuroscience <laughs> frustration in dogs and my God, <laughs> the information in that, I feel, um, I feel less smart than I did yesterday. <laughs> Is that the behavior vets one? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I got it whenever it came out and I just hadn't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, it's, it's really amazing to me that when people talk about frustration, and I know it's kind of the same thing for us, when we talk frustration, we don't add, we don't think about its actual issues that the brain has with frustration. And it's not just a choice that we're making to be frustrated. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think for me, like frustration is one of the densest topics out there because I think with so many of the behavior problems in inverted commas that we deal with um, day to day as behaviorists, we've been given for so many years now some fantastic content on things like aggression, things like separation anxiety, repetitive behaviors. But frustration's kind of flown under the radar a little bit for a, a number of years. And I think really it's something that actually fits into so many of those different behavior problems that we see and the issues that our dogs face. And there's so much going on in the brain when when a dog is experiencing frustration. Kind of diving into that is a very, very, um, I think, insightful process really for us to kind of really understand um, both a dog's issue around the, um, their own resources and their own environment and how that fits into other problems and other difficulties that they might be facing. Yeah, I tell you this, you know, we see frustration on a regular basis and you see it around the normal things of I'm frustrated because I want to go say hi to this dog. I'm frustrated because I really want that food that you're eating. I'm frustrated because you won't let me out. I, I sometimes feel like my Border Collie Mix gets frustrated because she'll ring the bell to go out. We don't get up fast enough. So she rings it like four times before it even change, you know, stops ringing. And I'm just like, you're driving me crazy. And I, and I wonder is how much frustration comes genetically based off of, you know, is it more genetics or do dogs really learn to be frustrated more by their environment? 
So yeah, that's a really interesting question. I've been looking into it and um, there's not really any research around frustration and genetics in dogs. So there's no studies that look directly at as, as at whether there's a genetic link or there's specific genes that are associated with the development of frustration in dogs. There are studies that look at similar behaviours that might link into that frustration. So aggression, for instance, we know that aggression is with how some dogs respond to frustration you might have a dog that um it might be a border collie for instance that you know you're not working fast enough on that agility task and it's like well do you know i'm just gonna bite you um, yeah. <laughs> um yep. because uh, this is so frustrating for me um so um aggression has been linked to genetics so that's one thing that we can take away and say okay well maybe some of those aggression cases maybe some of that is related to frustration don't really know um i would suspect there is a very strong genetic um link to frustration both down to the breed that we're dealing with and what those breeds are predisposed to and um and um, kind of more generally throughout the dog population. Um, and I think if we look at the genetic links, there's there's two ways that we can look at it, right? We can look at genes that specifically um, influence the dog's frustration response. And we can think about kind of these indirect genetic influences. So genes that, for example, um, make a dog more prone to really liking food. And if you've mm-hmm. got a dog, so say a Labrador or something, because we know that labs have a um, genetic polymorphism that means they, they it's, it's difficult for them to feel satiated, um, then food can be really, really high value for them. So they could be at higher risk of frustration, not because they've actually got a gene that codes for frustration, but because they've got a genetic difference that codes for food being really high value for them. And then we can even think about Um, the environments that certain breeds end up in. So for instance, if you think of little dogs and kind of in city high rises, um, that's quite a frustrating situation that they're ending up in just because people are thinking, oh, a little dog will be a great fit for this environment. And then we've got a little dog that's kind of looking around, can't reach anything, uh, (laughs) can't get anywhere, can just see this whole world outside the window that they just can't get to. So there's lots of different ways genes can fit into that frustration picture. Yeah, I I think that, uh, and I'm so excited because I've always looked at dogs at such a deeper way than just a kind of surface. And and it's so nice to now see studies are coming out and people are really digging deep and I'm finding my people that, you know, that we love all this nerdy stuff. Um, I, I really, the one thing I want our podcast to do is to explain to people and help people understand that dogs are so much deeper. There's so much deepness there that it's not something that where they don't just choose to be, you know, frustrated or they don't choose to be, you know, um, a little anxiety ridden or, uh, you know, it's really one of those things that we need to start understanding that they do just run so much deeper. And I think this frustration, I do see that as kind of a common root issue of a lot of behavior issues. So it's, it's, I had a client the other day with a, um, Frenchie, a French bulldog that to me looks like this guy got mixed with an English bulldog. He's one of the biggest French bulldogs I've ever seen, but he only has one testicle and he had just tried to get it removed, but they couldn't find, they couldn't find the one they did not think was dropped. They couldn't find it. So that was a lot of issue with him, but just watching him the other day as he came in and his, you know, his mouth is as big as his head panting and he's trying to hump me and he's like, just, 
you could just hear the frustration in him. Like he doesn't know what to do with that. And I know a lot of people deal with that. What are some of the things that you could tell some of these, you know, my clients or your clients or just our listeners? Frustration is something that runs deeper. What are some of the things that we can do to help our dogs? Either maybe I should start with as puppies limiting kind of that potential for frustration to build, especially if they are, say, like a Labrador that's coming in with this desire to eat everything in the house. (laughs) Yeah, so I think with that, it's really useful to, I think if we kind of perhaps start off by defining frustration and thinking about what that really is. So kind of simply, it tends to be defined as mostly throughout the research literature and throughout kind of general general use as well as when an animal's interrupted from getting to their goal. So if we think of a puppy, if it's been getting trying to get to some food, they're interrupted in getting to some food. If we think of an older dog, it might be wanting to play with a friend and they're interrupted playing with their friend. It's again that applies in fact to, to any age really. Um, and in terms of preventing frustration I would say prevention is definitely the key um if you can do that and um, because it's much easier than kind of resolving something a dog is experiencing frustration around um that's really good um so in terms of prevention we can think about re- really firstly what the dog is learning and actually learning is a whole interesting conversation as well with frustration because we need to think about that dog's learning rate um and um, we can circle back to that in a minute, but um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we obviously need to think about what they're learning, right? So if we think of a puppy that's learning, say, every time I go into the kitchen and I kind of nuzzle at that cupboard and I pour it a little bit, then my owner's <laughs> like, oh, that's really cute. Look at them. And then they open the cupboard and they get me some food out. Um, so if we get that kind of contingency in place, what we're doing is we're teaching the puppy's brain a set of rules about their environment we're teaching them that when I go into the kitchen and when I engage in this behavior um I can predict that I'm going to get this level of reward right I can predict that I'm going to get say a little bit of chicken bites whatever or beefy but I don't know whatever treat your puppy is um (laughs) interested in um um out of the cupboard um, so there's, there's in that puppy's head, as they start making that association, there's a prediction about what's going to occur. And we know that this is coded for in um, a system within the brain called the dopamine system. So the dopamine system essentially activates to a certain level um, in a way that is associated with the level of reward that's going to be achieved so once that puppy's learned that behavior the dopamine system is going to be activating and saying hey puppy um look at that cupboard you've just seen that you're a little bit hungry um going to activate this much that's kind of to, to kind of correspond to the level of reward you're going to get you should probably put about about this much effort in to wanting to achieve that reward So then we've got a few situations, right? If we've got our puppy that's seen those circumstances, seen the cupboard, thought I'm a little bit hungry, I'm going to try and pour at the cupboard or do, you know, whatever I normally do to try and get that reward. Well, there's three different situations that it could occur. The puppy could pour at the cupboard and then they could get a greater reward than, than, than expected. So that 
is going to cause what's called a prediction error to occur. So a slightly different thing happening to what the puppy predicted has happened. So we've got a better, better, better than expected outcome, right? So the puppy's like, ah, oh, fantastic news, yes. which is great for the puppy in that moment. But it does put us in the situation where we've got even higher expectations next time that situation occurs and a greater potential for frustration even um, if we don't then meet that reward um, when the puppy's expecting it. So the second thing that can happen is, of course, the puppy gets exactly what they expect to happen, happens. So they get that bit of beef bite or whatever um, they they normally get when they pour at the cupboard and they're all cute and do all that. Um, so we can have that. Um, so no prediction error, basically, because exactly what we predicted happened. We got it right. Um, or... We could have the situation where the puppy's done all this and been like, yeah, that's great. Maybe we've got an adult dog now and maybe it was really cute when they were a puppy. And, but now we've actually got a big adult dog that's just smashing up the kitchen cupboard. Yeah, <laughs> and they need a new paint job. <laughs> and the owner's like, actually, do you know, I don't like this behavior very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to try and not reinforce it. So the puppy gets, or the adult dog now, gets less than they expected in terms of reward. Um And that's when we can get that frustration response. And in particular, the the kind of the moment when that frustration response occurs is when the dog recognizes something called a conditioned inhibitor. So a conditioned inhibitor is something in the environment that says to that dog, when this is present, you are not going to get that reward that you expect to get. So for instance, I can give you a few examples of these just to put it into context. For instance, if we think of the puppy that's trying to smash at the cupboard to get the reward, it might be the owner leaving the room and saying, oh, no, I'm not getting anything today. So again, simple kind of clear signal to the dog that, oh, yeah, that's not that's not gone too well. Um, so that's when we get um, that frustration response for that dog. And, and and in the brain as well, we know that the dopamine system's responding to that by actually decreasing its firing levels, not making the dog feel very good, experiencing that kind of disappointment, that sort of rage I- experience that's associated with frustration. Um, it could be that we've got a dog that has gone down the local dog park and seen their friend and their owners decided actually uh, we're going home now Um, and we put them back on lead um, and that could be your conditioned inhibitor so anything that's kind of signaling to the dog that you thought you were going to get a reward but actually because this has happened you're not going to get a reward in the human context it's like if we go to our favorite cafe looking for a morning coffee or we go to our favorite bar looking for our favorite drink and there's a sold out sign up and we're like oh, crap <laughs> um, oh yeah some serious frustration taking place there yeah <laughs> yeah and you know it's funny you i think that that really you I, that was a perfect example of saying you know so many times puppies do things that are really cute and it's and we end up reinforcing it quite a bit, and then they get older, and it's not so cute anymore. I can imagine that that does that frustration that dogs feel in that moment, um, especially when it because it's typically happening when the dogs are still in adolescence, that owners are like, nope, not so cute anymore. Do you find? And I know that we have not done as much research, but get on that. Do you mind just go ahead and just stop all the other yeah. things you're doing in life? 
and just get on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, I'm so glad you brought up adolescence because it's, that's exactly when you've got that adult dog body, right? So you've got the puppy that's smashing into the cupboard yep. door, or you've got the dog that's kind of pulling the owner flat on their ass. Yep. Um, <laughs> oh, every time. Right. Um, so you've, you've, got that adolescent so you, that's when typically an owner will be like oh do you know what? I'm gonna really crack down yep. um and I'm gonna not reinforce this anymore um so we're like yep yeah, actually no you're not having the thing from the cupboard I'm not gonna reinforce that not gonna give you any signs of that and that really doesn't get on very well with an adolescent brain unfortunately because what happens is firstly adolescents are more sensitive of frustration so when when an adolescent doesn't get the reward they expect or gets a lesser reward than they expect even um their dopaminergic firing their dopaminergic levels actually dips below normal levels so it's quite an that unpleasant experience of frustration is amplified really for an adolescent secondly we also know that adolescents are very resistant to extinction learning so their frontal regions of their brain the bit of the brain that is involved in extinction learning so basically in a normal adult um the frontal regions of the brain will help communicate with some of those emotional regions of the brain to kind of say oh actually um even though you thought there was a reinforcer there or even though you thought that was scary in the past it's not scary anymore or that's not reinforcing anymore um so it's the frontal region that kind of helps rein in those um, associative responses that um, are no longer relevant. That functioning doesn't work very well in adolescence at all. Um, So we've got a dog that's going to be very sensitive to that environment when we're no longer giving them that reinforcer. And we've also got a dog that's not really going to be able to take on board what we're trying to teach them via that extinction learning and um, but we have got a dog that that is probably going to learn quite quickly that when a conditioned inhibitor comes in place so you saying no we're not going any further on this walk you're not going up to see your friend today um or whatever um we've got a dog that is is likely to learn quite quickly what that condition inhibitor means and quite quickly learn that they really don't like it yeah, it's funny. It's it's. What I think about mostly is the young puppies that are grabbing the leashes and pulling and tugging, and it's and a lot of my clients will say, "Oh, I'm not really worried about that right now," but then it's a Cane Corso that dog grabbing a leash as an older dog <laughs> is going to be taking you down and pulling you across the road. Um, do you find that? And, and again, I say, do you find because we've not really done all the the research that needs to happen. But with puppies that create or adolescents that create a lot of frustration, do do you find that there's going to be more issues with frustration as an adult, or is it one of those things that okay, I got frustrated during an adolescence, but we've kind of recovered and can can be a little bit more patient as an adult. I think you don't necessarily know. Um, I don't. I think, yeah, as you say, there's not the research on it. Yeah. Um, in dogs, um, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to say a hundred percent. Um, I would suspect that um, dogs that have had a lot of developmental frustration, we that does change the way some of those systems in the brain function. So I expect it would mean they are much more prone to frustration as as an adult. However, there may be some dogs that as they get older, um, particularly maybe if it's a milder frustration, they kind of grow out of it a little bit. 
um, because their, their, their regulatory systems mature and they start being able to cope with those situations better. But I would suspect that, um, and again, I'm just, I'm, I'm speculating. So that is a super big disclaimer, but, um, I would suspect that is probably for the milder cases of frustration. Whereas if we've got a dog that's been exposed to very high levels of frustrations throughout their puppyhood, and adolescence, um, then I don't imagine that's something they would just grow out of. I would find, I would think that some dogs or that quite a few dogs that would have this frustration issue would tend to probably have some other issues too that are coming out of that. Some anxiety of not knowing the predictabilities of, you know, does this work? Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I get to see my friends on a leash. Sometimes I don't. I do with daddy, but I don't with mommy. And um, I, I can just imagine that. I know that frustration is good to a point. I think we all have to feel that to to build up what we need to build to deal with life. What are some of the things that we can do safely for our dogs to build up a positive frustration level? Does that make sense? You know, I love my hypotheticals. You know, I like to throw you into the whole like, you know, I know we don't have the research on this, but I really like your brain. So I want to see what you think. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. It's just kind of really thinking about if a dog is in a situation that is frustrating for them, um, how can we facilitate their ability to cope better in that situation? Is that is that what you're thinking about? Yeah. You know, because yeah. I'm, I'm going to say these things where we could probably go into three or four different directions, but I'm going to let you take it in whatever direction you feel. Because <laughs> um, I love talking about all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think as, as a baseline, there's two things that, in fact, there's two big things that we can think about here in terms of setting our dogs up for success if they do end up in that frustrating circumstance. And and, and there's, there's things that we can do to... Um, reduce the levels of frustration um, they perceive around the circumstance and there's things that we can do to um, not actually change necessarily the levels of frustration they experience but if they go into that situation mean they are more likely to be able to cope so in terms of their kind of coping thresholds we need to be thinking about kind of as a baseline meeting their behavioral needs so making sure that dog's feeling safe both physically and emotionally um, feeling safe and secure in their environment as a as a really important starting point um, making sure the dog's got their enrichment needs met so is is having good interactions with their environment having the opportunity to do things like foraging explore um engage with um con specifics ideally so um other dogs basically having another dog friend rather than just kind of particularly this is rather than seeing another dog um on, on kind of other dogs on a transient basis at a dog park so not dogs that you're meeting regularly um, I'm really kind of thinking of having the opportunity to have kind of a pal that you hang out with yeah. a couple of times a week, say. Um, so you've got people, uh, well, not people, dogs. You've got <laughs> friends that you can kind of benefit from because yeah. we know that that will also um, decrease the value dogs put or decrease how how um urgent dogs feel socializing with other dogs is if you've got a regular social outlet you won't be feeling um as 
concerned about socializing as you might be if you don't have that and because it can be anxiety provoking right if you if you don't think you're gonna have the opportunity to hang out with many other dogs and meet your species specific social needs that can be anxiety provoking and if you've got that anxiety you're going to be more prone to experiencing frustration if you can't get those needs met um, and we can think about other other needs as well. So um, needs for sleep are really important for kind of um, regulating those emotional systems within the brain. So if you're um, struggling to regulate your emotions, it might be because you actually haven't slept enough. And dogs need ideally about more more than 14 hours sleep, 14 hours plus sleep over a 24 hour period. So they need a lot of sleep. Um, So that's really, really important for emotional regulation, your learning potential, and also consolidating your past learning. Um, So there's so much we can think about as a baseline in terms of meeting needs. And one caveat that I would say with meeting needs is sometimes you'll meet a need and you'll make a dog's life better. Um, But that will actually increase how frustration prone they are in some situations. So, for instance, um, if you are not sleeping well, um, you don't tend to eat as well. You don't your um, hunger system, your basically your your, your ability to feel hungry and eat um, tends to decrease your appetite tends to decrease. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, So (laughs) if you've got a dog that you have found is not sleeping well and you address that so you get them to be sleeping better you hit those 14 hours of sleep over a 24 hour period you might find that dog then becomes more frustrated around food because their appetite's increased um so meeting needs i think is a really important thing but put sometimes that will backfire or seem to backfire a little bit because it it does mean that a dog can then start focusing on meeting other needs so then we might need to start thinking about actually how we present food to that dog and how we manage that dog's eating routine so they're experiencing less frustration around food as well um so I think frustration is one of those issues. And actually, when we start thinking about meeting needs, it's not always a linear process of you meet the needs and the dog's life, or or this is actually really down to the owner's life getting easier rather than the dog's life. We're actually improving the dog's life, but we might be making the owner's life a little bit harder. So we just need to manage expectations and prepare them for that. Um, um, It's not necessarily a linear process. It can, you know, have a few kind of twists and turns. Um, So yeah, meeting needs, I think is a really important one. And um, also thinking about we can um alter and retrain some of those conditioned inhibitors so thinking about actually if we've got uh, a lead um for instance that's very frustrating for a dog and we're consistently putting that lead on in a specific location so it may be a dog park or something in the us um we're consistently putting that lead on and that's becoming a source of frustration it might be that we need to look at retraining how that dog's goes out on leash so maybe thinking about whether we can find a new contact point for that leash so it feels a little bit different looks a little bit different on the dog it might be a slightly different harness that the leash leash connects at a slightly different point on the harness so there's a different feeling different look different smell to that leash because if we're going in with a blank slate rather than something we've got a history of being a conditioned inhibitor then we're less likely to get such a strong frustration response. And similarly, if we change the location from the dog park where there's the history of loads of frustration, then we're more likely to to be more successful. So much, so much frustration at the dog park for humans and dogs alike. 
here in the U.S. Um, you mentioned sleep, and I think that that is such a big one that we see on across the board that, especially since 2020, people just don't go to the office as much, right? So you have a lot of people at home uh, that they believe their dog is sleeping so well. But how many times, I know how many times I get up, go get water. How many times I get up and go to the bathroom. Uh, I get up because the mail lady got here and I just saw, so I want to go get the mail. And we think that our dogs are sleeping all day while we're doing that. And we're not. And, and so that frustration is, is I, I know that it can easily build up in those situations. And I know when I'm trying to sleep and and Brett has decided she wants to clean the dishes. She wants to organize the cabinet. And, and I'm just like, could you stop? That frustration really does kick in. Um, and, and it's amazing that we know that we get frustrated with things like this. We just don't seem to, to, to have that same thought process with our dogs. And we tend to get so frustrated with them because they're frustrated. And then it's just this vicious cycle of frustration. Um, and I do think that the owners need to definitely learn how to manage their life to help with that frustration, uh, because you will find that, and we see this a lot when we're trying to build a dog's confidence up. I always tell people when we're building your dog's confidence up, one of the first things you're probably going to see that you may have never seen before is counter surfing. Uh, because the dog was never brave enough to try it. So it's I, I see it's a lot of the same thing in frustration to where, yeah, you're going to fix this by giving that sleep, but then we're going to have this now. Maybe we have resource guarding issues, right, over food. And we've never had that before. So now your training has created more problems. When really our, our training is allowing these problems to kind of surface um, and and help, you know, acknowledge it and help the dog through it. Uh, you know, I used to do a lot of hand feeding and I used to allow my dogs to get some frustration in there because I felt like it really taught them to feel that frustration, but then to, to figure that problem out really helps to build that. What we now is, you know, talking resilience and, and, and going through that. I wish I could talk more about resilience rainbow if I hadn't been so sick uh, with, Dr. <laughs> with Dr. Kathy and, and Bobby. And it was so good. Uh, I just think that we need to recognize, we need to, to have our owners to understand that there are a lot of things that these dogs do go through and that we can help them. Um, and that sometimes it is something that we can't necessarily control. And, and it's not something that the dog can necessarily control. You know, the dog's not saying, I'm just pissed, so I'm going to pull this cabinet door off and bring it to you. <laughs> I'm just frustrated and I don't know how to deal with it. And I can't scream and yell and I can't go through the house slamming doors. However, I might pull this cabinet door to where I do slam it enough. Um, it really is across the board kind of the same thing. One more age group I want to talk about, though, and then I'm going to have, I need to get Helen on here, Helen St. Pierre on here, is I can imagine the frustration that could kick up with geriatric and senior pets, um, with just simple things of, wow, I used to, to get up off my dog bed so much easier and now I'm not feeling that easy. Uh, are we seeing that that frustration, if I say, are we seeing no Nikki, we've not done the testing. Um, are, <laughs> can we imagine that senior dogs, that, that frustration can maybe do be less healthy for them than say an adult dog learning how to just deal with, you know, adversity. 
Yeah, I think it's super, super challenging with senior dogs because if we think of what's happening, right, that's a prediction error in the sense that the dogs are like, yep, I'm going to go upstairs and cuddle up with my owner in bed at night and that's going to be great and that's going to be really reinforcing for me. And then suddenly they can't do that as easily. So we get that frustration response because suddenly that accessing that reinforcer is becoming harder for them, potentially painful for them, um, which can't feel good, right? Especially when actually you are, in that example, a senior dog likely to be feeling more vulnerable and likely to benefit more from that social support. So you might have something, a situation where actually the saliency, the value that you're placing on social support goes up and the work that you have to do and your ability to access that goes down. Um, So it's really, really challenging. And... um, I think, yeah, obviously the way we manage that's really important. So looking at things that we can put in place to to making that access easier and, um, you know, treating that pain, thinking things, thinking about things that we can do to, you know, make it easier for them to navigate life, really. Um, but yeah, um, it's, it's definitely a challenge with senior dogs. And um, then we've also got the situation where some of them are experiencing cognitive dysfunction. So they may be struggling to um, actually remember and recall how to access um, some of those reinforcers as well. And that kind of confusion can, again, add to that lack of predictability, add to that frustration. It's just, I, I, it, when I was listening to Helen talk, I, I've, I've lost both of my senior dogs in the last couple of years. So it's like, and they went, well, one went pretty quickly with cancer, but the other, I just watched him and watched that frustration kick into where he used to be able to get up so easily to the point where he would try to get up and start falling kind of sideways more. And you just kind of watch that. And, and it's to me, once you start seeing that frustration kicked in, I kind of saw him kind of go downhill pretty quickly. All right. It was just kind of like, it's like he knew he was on the downslope and he's like, I'm just going to ride it and I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> for the ride. Um, and he did, I mean, he did, but, um, you know, I can even see with some dogs that I have dealt with where they've been an athlete and they've been injured and they've had to have surgery and they've had to do that. And that frustration builds up. Are there things that people can do to help in processes like that, to try to avoid any adverse response to that frustration? Once that kind of athletic dog comes back to, being able to do maybe the sports that they were doing. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of a couple of my clients that I've had that, that I can see that maybe some behavior problems have kicked in after some type of surgery that's kept them down for a little bit. Yeah. I think that's really tough, isn't it? If you've, if you've got a dog that, that has been able to, I mean, it's the same sort of situation in a sense to senior dogs and that the dog was able to do something and then suddenly they find out, <clears throat> they find out they can't do something anymore. Um, so, I mean, facilitating for that, I think, one thing that we can think about is kind of um, particularly those frontal regions of the brain, right? So those frontal regions I mentioned earlier are really big in regulating the emotional systems throughout the dog's brain. So helping the dog cope with that frustration. And one thing that we know about frontal regions of the brain or the frontal region of the brain is it has limited kind of juice. It runs out of battery, um, if you like, quite quickly. So for instance, if I'm doing a task that involves quite a lot of frontal engagement, whether it's kind of um, doing something like um, focusing on my computer, writing up a 
article or something for a couple of hours. So I'm having to um, deal with potential frustrations as I can't actually come up with anything to say. I'm having to um, avoid distractors. I'm having to engage that frontal part of my brain. The energy my frontal cortex has to be able to do that will be depleted. And after doing that, if then I go out and I experience a frustrator, say my car won't start or I don't know, I can't um, find any food in the house or something, um, (laughs) then I'm less likely to be able to cope with that well than if I'd spent my afternoon like walking around, going for a walk or lying in bed or whatever, or doing something non-frustrating. So it's, it's the context of what you've just experienced will influence how frustration prone you are. So if we put that in the context of dogs, often we think about with dogs that are um, out of action, thinking about kind of doing lots of challenging enrichment tasks with them, which is really good. It's a great way kind of thinking about training that doesn't involve, um, you know, physical, um, isn't physically challenging or problematic for the dog whilst they're recovering, thinking about enrichment tasks that add some challenge, add some cognitive um difficulty for the dog um fantastic but one of the downsides of that is it will deplete that cognitive it will deplete that frontal cortex energy so um it will it will mean the frontal cortex is running lower on energy and it's going to have have to work harder it's going to be more difficult for that frontal cortex to regulate that frustration response if it does occur so Again, we just need to be thinking about actually making sure if we are going to be putting those dogs in a frustrating situation. And I know, of course, we can't always control when it's going to occur with with those um, with dogs that are, you know, either senior dogs or dogs that are kind of on bed rest. But if, for example, we know that we've got friends coming around and they're going to be really excited about that and it's going to be really difficult for them to not want to jump up and run around and have fun with the friends or whatever situation it may be actually making sure we've just done some calm, easy things before that is pretty key rather than having just done a load of puzzles or a load of advanced training before that, because it will tire out that frontal cortex. What we, I would say the best thing to be thinking about before that is something like a chew, because a dog chew actually activates a system in our brain or a system in the dog's brain called the GABA system. Um, And the GABA system is an inhibitory system in the brain. So it actually helps the brain kind of calm down those emotional systems. Um, And it's thought this is why humans grind their teeth, um, interestingly, as well. Um, So it's, it's, it's a good way to, again, set a dog up for success in a situation where they may be likely to experience frustration and um, not send them in there with a tired out frontal cortex. Because if we go in and say, oh, we need to really tire out our dogs before the friend comes round. Um, so they they don't do silly things. It's actually going to really backfire on us. You know, it's everybody does that. I go and wear my dog out and I go do this and we do 1400 things before this happens and this happens. And it's like, but you, you really, the dog can't, doesn't have anything left to make good decisions. And I always tell people there's a good tired and there's a bad tired. And that bad tired is going to lead to more frustration um, because the dog just doesn't have the ability to, to deal in that moment because of all the things that happened prior. When I know people are just thinking, I'm going to go do all of this so you'll look perfect <laughs> for when those people come over. Um and yeah, I can we go back to the chewing thing real quick because I have I've got 
several of my dogs do have uh, my client dogs that have issues. And I watch one who, who she is really learning to deal with that kind of emotional regulation and, and dealing with that frustration. And, and she lives, she uses a lot of excessive licking um, and things, but I, when she gets a bone, she does it to where she's chewing, you know, so hard on this bone. I feel like there's almost frustration building up in that because she can't get to what she wants. So is there a time where chewing on a bone isn't necessarily a good calming for the brain and it's actually giving excess of frustration? Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of where the context comes into it. Okay. For the most part, the chewing activity has that calming effect on the brain. But if the dog then can't access that chewing activity or can't feel like they're completing that chewing activity, then it can add to frustration, which is why particularly for dogs that have very um, high frustration responses around food, I tend to look at chews that the dog can fully complete rather mm-hmm. than chews that are going to leave like a bone or all those kind of never-ending chews or un, un- yep you know, like long lasting chews, I think actually can increase frustration for some dogs. So that's a really good point. Um, yeah, like look at the dog, look at kind of the speed they go through chews yeah. and finding something that works for about <laughs> 10 minutes for them, I think is ideal. So um, okay. for some dogs, that's a pig's ear. For some dogs, a pig's ear is like two seconds, so it's not great. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it depends yep. on the dog you're working with, but something that's kind of five to 10 minutes, I think is generally... Uh, a, a good rough estimate for a chew length for a dog that you're working with that is frustration prone. I like that. I like that. I like the numbers. Uh, <laughs> I've just, I've just we've talked about my head. So I um, love them. I do too. <laughs> I'm like a 47 percent. The 47 percent of the 86 percent of the market. Um, that's how I pull numbers out always. <laughs> Uh, what are, what have we not talked about with frustration that you feel like just has to be discussed? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so there's two things actually, then we could touch on. Um, so one thing, just touching back on the senior dogs and dogs that are unable to do things, um, is just thinking about what happens as a result of that frustration response, because we know that we've got that emotional response, but actually the behavioral outcomes of frustration are quite important to just make a note of I think because they can put dogs at risk of harming themselves Um, so one thing that we tend to see as a result of frustration is um, an increased response force so for instance if if you think of human context your car's not starting you start smashing your car or kind of aggressively (laughs) um, you know turning the ignition Um, in a dog it might be if you can't do this puzzle toy i'm just going to pick this up and smash it at the ground or something or whatever <laughs> whatever your dog's go to chosen response may be um and um we also see increased response time so if the dog's pouring something fairly slowly to start off with once that frustration comes in it might be pouring more rapidly um so these are all things that are going to put a dog particularly a dog that's recovering from something or a senior dog at higher risk because they've experienced that frustration response. So when one takeaway I would say is, is frustration's not necessarily just an emotional welfare risk. It's actually a physical risk because it means a dog's likely to make poor decisions and actually poor judgment mm-hmm. is another aspect of frustration. Um, uh, the systems involved in kind of judgment and making good 
judgments and good decisions <laughs> kind of go a bit out the window when that frustration response occurs. So um, poor decisions and a risk to physical well-being is so tied into that frustration response. Um, that's, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing um, I would say is we can also... Um, and I didn't touch on this in the Behaviour Vets webinar, so this is exclusive to yeah, <laughs> dog speak. All right. Um, but um, <laughs> is thinking about learning rate for dogs that are frustration prone and actually thinking about how we may want to alter that learning rate of dogs that are frustration prone. So just to put it in the context of learning rate. So learning rate is how quickly a dog makes an association. So if we think of a dog that gets frustrated because they have associated the word walk and you picking up the lead with going out for a walk. Um, how many trials does it take your dog to associate you picking up the lead, the lead going on and going out for a walk with the lead meaning going for a walk, right? That's kind of basic, base, our kind of basic behavioral um, sort of learning, basic classical conditioning, right? For anyone that looks at uh, kind of coming from the behavior analysis perspective, right? Yeah. So how many trials does that take? For most dogs, it's probably, you know, three, four, five, maybe, um, depends on the dog. Um, but the learning rate is essentially how fast that dog learns that. And, and, and in the brain, we're talking about how fast those dopaminergic neurons are learning um, um, to respond when the dog sees that lead. So if I give you two situations, so if we've got a dog that after one trial is like, yep, lead, that means going for a walk. Um, and then we've got dog two that say takes 10 trials to get to the point where they're like, yep, lead means going for a walk. If we're on trial two and we decide actually we're going to get the lead out, but just for the heck of it, um, <laughs> because we're rearranging the house or something, I don't know, um, or the leads come out, or we've said the walk word um, or whatever, and we're not going for a walk. Um, dog that has the very high learning rate on trial two is going to be way more prone to experiencing frustration than the dog that has the low learning rate. Because for that dog they've already made that association between the lead mm. meaning the walk, whereas the dog with the low learning rate is like, oh, I didn't really know what that meant anyway. I guess it obviously doesn't mean walk um, going when the lead comes out. So have a think about your dog's learning rate um, because that will have a massive impact on how frustration prone they are. If they've got a high learning rate, then they're going to be picking up things in their environment. They're going to be making those associations and then they're going to be struggling more potentially depending on um, their frustration response and how they respond if they do um, not have their goals met. Um, but struggling more if those associations they've made are wrong, which they may well be in some situations. Um, and learning rate is influenced by a few different things. So it's influenced by genetic factors and, and the development of the dog and um, kind of early experience, genes, epigenetics, all those things that we can talk about in loads more detail at some point. Um, but um, it's also influenced by those other things that you're kind of, again, thinking back to if everyone, anyone that's done the kind of the classic behavior analysis courses, things like contiguity. So how um, close the reinforcer is to the um uh, unconditioned or the conditioned stimuli so how close the lead going on the lead coming out is with between 
that and then going out the house. Um, frequency, so how often you're pairing it, all those sorts of things. Um, and those are things that we can actually play around with a little bit. So if you've got a border collie that's learning things really, really fast, we might actually, when we're thinking about the environment and thinking about our routines, we might actually want to think about how we can put things in place to stop that very fast learning occurring around things being associated. So for instance, you coming downstairs in the morning and getting breakfast. So it might be that you came downstairs one day, you gave the dog breakfast, and then that association's been made. (laughs) Um, But it might be that you need to actually start off by, again, prevention here, um, but start off by thinking, okay, we're going to have some pretty wide gaps between me coming downstairs, which is, of course, a very notable salient stimuli in the environment that could be easily learnt about by a border collie and (laughs) me getting breakfast um and no so we can put in a bigger gap we can um think about other stimuli that we put in place that we that, that that kind of come up that will overshadow some of that learning so um we could come downstairs we could do a different activity and then we could get breakfast so we could go go and do something interesting maybe we could go and do something boring maybe i don't know depends on your routine um (laughs) so but there's a lot that we can think about to to physically alter our dog's learning rate um to um help prevent them from developing an association and an expectation that's not going to be met um on a regular basis yeah i'm i'm seeing right now is Britt gets up before me and she is constantly feeding the cats first thing in the morning, filling up their cat bowls, uh, feeding the dogs fairly quickly after she's gotten up. I don't do that. And she left this morning out of town. So she's gone all week. And so the dogs have learned that when she's not here, they don't get fed. So they don't like hover around the kitchen and follow me, but they do with her. But it's like they've learned that they don't get, they thank goodness they don't get frustrated um, because I don't do that. But it is funny how that really, now the cats do. The cats will get frustrated and follow me around the house and meow at me if their bowls are empty because they're used to Brittany doing it every morning. Um, But, and I find it just, I think that's such a, all of that was so (laughs) eye opening. I really now I feel like an ass for when people would spell W-A-L-K um, and I would say what walk, you know, because in and, and the dogs, like, you can't, you know, you can't say it around the dog. And I'm like, what walk? Because I thought, you know, the dog needs to learn to be able to hear walk and not go for a walk. Um, now I feel like an ass for doing that years ago. My bad guys. Sorry. Now we'll, we'll keep spelling it so that we don't get the dog frustrated. <laughs> Until the dog learns how to spell it. And then, <laughs> Then I'm you're like, in trouble. You've just got to come up with a new language. And I know. I'm just like, I, I don't even know. I you get into know. a client's house and you're like, why do you guys all speak French? Um, That's it. That's it. I've actually told somebody, I was like, I want to name, like, I want to give my dog commands in all these weird ways, like make down command sit. And then, you know, just change. But I'm like, I, there's no way I'm going to remember any of that. I'd just get frustrated because the dog wouldn't be responding appropriately. Um, and you know, that is the thing is that we humans get frustrated quite often. Um, I can imagine every day there's frustration that happens with us as humans. 
and with our brains knowing that this is going to happen, that that we try to give each other some, you know, some empathy and, and empathize for ourselves, we need to really do a better job at being kind of, you know, having that empathy with our dogs. And that there are a lot of things that I'm sure that they can get frustrated over uh, because they don't have that control. And when we don't have control over things, that frustration can kick in. I know for, for me as a human, if I don't have control, that frustration kicks in. And it's funny talking about that kind of intensity of what you get is that I know frustration back in the day as a teenager, anger issues, you know, you hit things, you push things, you throw things. And, and that intensity does, it goes up, especially when it is something that was, you know, the reward was really big. And, you know, and, and that will kind of set off if that rewards that big, then that frustration level is going to be as big as that reward. Uh, we just need to be more aware of our dogs and, um, and understand that they go through this. And, and instead of being angry at them for being frustrated and getting frustrated with them, there are things that we can do <laughs> to, to help them out. Um, and to know that sometimes, especially with the amount of strays and shelter dogs and rescue dogs, I, I can only imagine the frustration that kicks in with say a stray dog who, knew what to expect on the streets and was handling it just fine. And then was brought into a shelter, now brought into a home. And we think, oh, the dog should be happy. He's sleeping on the couch. He has a roof over his head. He's having food. But the fact is that the predictability has changed. And that right there can create frustration. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's, yeah, that's just me running my brain, taking in all the things that I absorb from you and just... <laughs> store it <laughs> yeah i mean it's a fascinating one and as well uh, that kind of context in um makes me think of as well um things like repetitive behaviors and compulsive behaviors in dogs because um one thing that dogs with compulsive behaviors seem to really struggle with is what's known as reversal learning so reversal learning is when you have one thing or you know for instance if you think of a street dog that's coming in the house, you go from humans mean danger, run away, to humans mean, ah, oh, food, great, cuddles, affection, and all of that. That's reversal learning because you're having to learn. It's The reward isn't here anymore where you thought it was, running away from humans. It's actually going towards humans. Um, and that's something that dogs that experience compulsive behaviors really, really struggle with. So it's just fascinating i think really kind of how frustration ties into the picture of so many different behavior problems um and we can look at reversal learning we could look at how a dog's cope with reversal learning in kind of simple activities so um you know how quickly they learn if you put their food bowl in a different place or something simple as that right or if you you know if you ask them to do a different behavior in order to um access something um and um, if they um, do struggle more with reversal learning, then again, that's a good warning sign for the individual working with the dog that they may struggle with repetitive behaviors. 